And it just took, it took a lot of long hours, a lot of small staff. Um, I, for the first couple of years, I was still bartending and waiting tables because I didn't pay myself from the shop. Dogs, can we still do it? Welcome, everyone, to the local Storecast. I, as always, am your questionably humble host, William Glass. And with me is Monica Smith, owner of Mean Mug Coffee and maker of the seventh best biscuit in Tennessee. Monica, thanks so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started right quick. Why don't you go ahead, if you don't mind, tell us who you are. What was your background prior to running your own local business? What got you into all this? What bad decisions did you make? (laughs) I grew up on a small farm in Salina, Tennessee, which is um, in middle Tennessee, a very small town. We had an orchard and vineyard. Um, We grew everything we ate. Um, And then when I was 14 years old, my family opened a restaurant and that's where I started working in restaurants and have worked worked in the restaurant industry since then. Um, all throughout college, I went to college uh, in Nashville for graphic design and fine art. And then I moved here to Chattanooga um, and then also went to UTC for my graduate degree. And all throughout that time, worked in restaurants in some capacity. So I never really got out of it. And it's what year number 20 that I've been in it. So... <laughs> So graphic design into being a restauranteur, that's a, that's an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it helps. It helps to be able to do your own marketing and design. For sure. Especially when you're on a budget. So. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to put pictures up of, um, of the place whenever the episode goes live. And I'll be excited for people to see. It's very clear that somebody knows what they're doing. I just didn't know that it was you. <laughs> I hope I know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's incredible. So you you come out of Middle Tennessee farming, you restaurant your whole life, restaurant through college. And at what point do you decide, you know what, I think I can do this? Um, I think there was just a point. Um, you kind of grow up with everyone telling you, you need to go to college, you need to get a degree, you need to get out there and, and do this for a job and do this for a living and have a career. Um, and sometimes the restaurant industry isn't, um, very glorious or very sought after, um, and trade jobs in general aren't really the popular ones that you're pushed to, um, go for as a career. And at some point of going through college and thinking, Oh, well, this is just my stepping stone to get there. And one day I'll have a real job. And I just kind of realized, well, you know what, I've been in this industry for long enough and maybe I should, should take that as a hint that I'm good at this. And this is what I really do like to do. And maybe I should pursue an option to make it a career instead of just working for someone else. So there was kind of a, a realization there when I reached almost 30 and I'm still working in the industry. So, And how long has Mean Mug been open? Uh, We opened in December of 2011. All right. Uh, So you've already crossed so many of the restaurants don't make it past this age thresholds. I hope. Yeah, I think so. Right. 
So a lot of people, when they want to open businesses, restaurants, especially, they kind of, um, they want to, but they struggle to imagine how you get to that place where you open the doors on the first day and there's actually anybody who wants to come in. What were some of the things you guys did when Mean Mug first started to get customers in the first time? Well, um, it helped that my business partner had existing restaurants. We just, we tried to um, reach people through that. There was a lot of, you know, press uh, leading up to it. They heard Matt was opening another restaurant. So of course they, they wanted to publicize it. So that really helped. Um, People didn't really know who I was. Mm -hmm. I hadn't been in Chattanooga very long. So we didn't have a lot of funds when we opened this business. So we probably didn't do as much as we should have to get people in the door. And, um, we, we struggled a little bit at first. Yeah. Well, they sure as hell know who you are now though, don't they? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I hope so. So this is a pretty common story that I've heard, you know, restaurant just getting open, you know, nobody who's starting is usually made of cash. So, uh, everybody has to find creative ways to get the word out. You already talked about using the press a little bit who wanted to cover your business partner. What else did you do? I guess we um, we tried to do some marketing materials and just kind of get the word out of there. It was mostly word of mouth. Um, we didn't really do a whole whole lot right um, before opening. This is Chattanooga is still a very small town, um, so we just tried to tell everybody as much as possible that we were opening. We we tried to interact with other coffee shops in mm-hmm. town and and kind of build the word that way too. And how did you keep things going during that first year? I mean, you've, you've mentioned that you struggled a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, the easy part, the easy part to me is coming up with a concept and having all these great ideas. Well, this is what we want it to be like. Um, the hardest part was after the doors open, trying to make sure that we brought people in and it, it wasn't successful right off the bat. Um, I don't think that's true for every new restaurant, but this concept was a little bit different because it's people's morning routine is what we thrive off of, Mm -hmm. but we weren't successful. I would say it took us about three or four, eh, probably closer to four years before we really got into a good place. Mm -hmm. And it just took, it took a lot of long hours, a lot of small staff. Um, I, for the first couple of years, I was still bartending and waiting tables because I didn't pay myself from the shop. I was working freelance graphic design to pick up part-time jobs um, mm. through that, but I didn't pay myself for quite a while and yeah. just so that the business would make it. And you've made it. I mean, I've recently read about, uh, in fact, part of the way we heard about Mean Mug was uh, visiting Chattanooga ourselves. and we saw this article that USA Today had done uh, about the 10 best biscuits in Tennessee, which is a very weird article to me that USA Today would do that. But I'm glad they did because (laughs) it meant I found you guys. Um, Why are five out of the 10 best biscuits in Tennessee in Chattanooga? What is happening there? What have you guys done to the water? (laughs) Right? It's like New York with pizza. Um, I think that uh, we have a really unique situation here um, where it's this small town um, that really had a lot of opportunity. It's in a great location with a lot of outdoor things. Um, And a lot of people were moving here 
And there's room here for new businesses and young entrepreneurs. And the restaurant industry has really been one of those things that's taken off here. And it's the downtown area is all local business owners. Mm -hmm. I mean, minus a few corporate places here and there, but as a community, we really strive hard to keep this downtown area local and we don't really have that corporate feel. Every yeah. restaurant you step into, you're probably going to get homemade, made from scratch food that mm-hmm. somebody made the recipe for. And there's a lot of family operated businesses. So there's a lot of passion right. um, behind that. And I think that's that's why we ended up uh, five out of those restaurants. Right. I did see a couple corporate places downtown, but people tend to sneer when they walk by them. Yeah, <laughs> here they do. It's I think like, there's a no, Starbucks no. in a hotel and people just actively hissed at it. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really incredible to think about those those first years. And I think a lot of people when they're in year two and year three of restaurants and they're still not paying themselves or whatever, they're still month to month, you know, they feel like they're failing. Um, it's so good to talk to somebody who's sort of endured past that. And see that that's not failure. That's just like what success often looks like when it finally comes. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to get to a point where equipment was paid off, where we made sure that we weren't sacrificing customer service because we were spending too much in one area that we really didn't need to. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't ideal not to be able to pay myself for that long, but you do what you have to because you've put so much effort and energy and time and money into it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and a restaurant is a very complicated business model. I mean, materials come from all over the, you know, you need a lot of different things to make it work. Plus, you know, usually at least a fairly, you need more staff for that than you do as a freelance graphic designer for sure. Right. We were not born in sin. We were born homesick. With a gun in one hand And a noose around our neck Choking on Our own discontent But what did you expect? Now you've gotten somewhere and, you know, and I've only been to Mean Mug three times and every time it was jammed full. Interestingly, lots of lots of freelancers and people like that kind of making their their office there. It seemed like it was kind of nice. There's a lot of activity and energy, especially about the like nine to 10 AM thing going on. Oh yeah. From about 7 AM till noon. Well, yeah. 11 or 12. It's usually standing room. All the tables are full. Um, so it kind of dwindles off after that, but sure. So I'm really eager to get into uh, the kind of nuts and bolts segment. Typically, the idea behind this this segment is that we this is where you know business owners really get to kind of stretch their wings a little bit on their expertise and be a resource for people who are who are starting. So we've you know I know enough about our audience now to know that we've got a a few dozen early restaurateurs. So I think this is going to be really good for them. So one of the things I know about restaurants is they typically have one of the highest labor turnover rates that exists. When I was in Mean Mug, everybody I talked to had been there for a minute. Um, what what have you done to hang on to people? Um, well, that took some time and it definitely has its ups and downs. Um, 
this industry, like I said, it's not everyone's first choice for a job. A lot of times it's a fallback because someone can't get a job with their degree. Mm. Um, So there's that struggle that you have to work with. I just try to create a very organized work environment where people know what to expect. They know um, that it's dependable. It's reliable. Uh, We communicate. We give constructive feedback. We you know, I try to empower people as much as they want to be just to make them feel included and make them feel like they have more, um, just more skin in the game and more try to build a relationship with people to, to make them feel like individuals instead of just treating them like it does, you know, it doesn't matter if you're mm-hmm. gone, we'll just hire another one to replace you. Right. So I try to hang on to people because it is, it may, it's an easier makes my job easier if I have long-term employees. Right. For sure. But it's hard in the restaurant industry. It really is. And are there times where you feel like you have, um, you ever feel like you held on to somebody for too long? Absolutely. (laughs) That's happened a few times. Um, and again, you try to give constructive feedback to people and, and maybe there's a situation where, they were a late bloomer and you, you help them try to be successful. Mm-hmm. And then there's some times where you do that and you overlook little things or big things because you see someone's potential and not quite what they're giving you. And, you know, you see their potential appear mm-hmm. and they're actually giving you the, the work level way less than that. It's, and then two months goes by and something big happens and you're like, wow, if I would have dealt with that two months ago, then we could have avoided this entire situation and sure. made everybody's lives easier. It's just a hard decision to make with, is this something that I should work with or is this something that I should just, we should just call or call it quits and part right. ways. It's a really interesting part of the labor force <clears throat> Like in this time that, I mean, in part, this is partly your story, right? Going to college and coming back and trying to figure out, do I pursue a job in the field that I've worked at or do I do what I'm good at? And then a lot of your employees, or at least some you're saying are coming back from college or coming from college and not really having opportunities in their degree program. So it does create an interesting labor market where you have very talented people who often take jobs that they're kind of looking past. Yeah. And so I can imagine that's pretty tough to, when you see somebody where you're like, wow, it's very clear to me that you've got all kinds of talent and this just isn't for you. Right. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. they think that, you know, it's, I've always had the mentality of, Hey, a job, if it's paying the bills and it's a, uh, not a toxic work environment, Hey, then <laughs> it's paying the bills. I'll do it until I get something else that right. may be better. But a lot of people, maybe take that for, for granted. Right. Um, as you said before, especially with kind of trade jobs, it's, it's something that people have a, a weird kind of tendency to, to disdain or, or to, or to, you know, not respect like the real, like the job that it is. Um, and something with a real high upside. I mean, it's a skill that, that that's transportable. And, and, and I think that's a thing that is often forgotten. And I think as a, as a restaurant owner, these are, you know, you're dealing with like really, I mean, you're dealing with people in a, in a really intense way. And you're dealing with people who are, who are often not taking seriously what for you is your heart and soul. Right. 
staying on the subject of, you know, kind of management and leadership and handling people, if there was a management skill that someone would show you how to do perfectly, <laughs> what, what skill do you think you'd most want to acquire? Oh gosh, <laughs> that one's kind of hard. Cause there are a lot of things um, <laughs> that don't come naturally as a manager or didn't mm-hmm. to me. Uh, I don't think anybody's born with these skills. Sure. Um, but I think that the hardest thing for me was delegating um, mm. and stop feeling like I have to do everything or it's going to be too much effort to train somebody or tell somebody what I do every day. But, you know, in the long run, once I started doing that, it, it made my job a lot easier, made my stress level go down right. uh, quite a bit empowered people to make them feel like they were a part of the team and helping. And just it, it, that was probably the most um, difficult thing that I had to get over. And I still have, have to remind myself every day, Hey, why am I like running around like crazy when I can delegate this or teach somebody else how to do this? Right. This is a really interesting one in restaurants because often um, where it's not a corporate restaurant, when it's a person's kind of passion project restaurant, what you find is that person is, you know, like we've said already, heart and soul into it. And so it's really hard to let that stuff go because you you just don't, well, you know that at least initially, no one's going to do it as good as you do it. Right. It's, um, you just, it's one of those things, um, give people the tools um, teach them how to do it, uh, trust that they'll do it, but then you've got to, you got to come back and verify that they, they can do it and actually did it. It's, it's a lot of steps, but eventually, hopefully it'll, it'll pay off, mm-hmm. but you're right. I mean, if somebody doesn't have as much passion or skin in the game, it's really hard to find that person that you can delegate the big things to. Mm-hmm. And a, a kind of another part about managing people, um, how, you know, you can't, no owner can be in the restaurant all day, every day. How do you keep quality control? How do you, I mean, how do you maintain a high standard? I mean, USA Today didn't tell you they were coming to take your biscuits. They just did. And they were great. So how do you, how do you do that? I mean, I think that's something for a lot of restaurateurs that really struggle with how do you, how do you keep quality control across all shifts and all days? Right. Um, well, that's, that's part of, um, in the beginning, I was here all day, every day mm-hmm. <laughs> from open to close. And I had to say, oh my gosh, I can't do this if I want to stay sane. Um, and this is not good for anybody. So I just started really diving into, okay, well, what procedures, what policies, what tools can I set up to make everyone else be able to make this biscuit the way I make it Mm -hmm. and make it as good every single time. And as consistent every single time. And it takes a lot of organizing and putting, you know, recipes in place, putting procedures in place, tools in place and, and following up and daily managing and making sure everyone is following those exactly. And Mm -hmm. making sure my other managers are enforcing those things and quality checking when I'm not there. And, just hold, holding people accountable, really. Right. Um, and just constantly communicating if something's different or, yeah. or 
somebody missed something. Do you feel like you've got it pretty well oiled machine machinery by now? I mean, is it kind of, do you feel pretty good about like most days when you're not there, you feel like it's pretty much where you want it? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> There's always room for improvement. And as it grows, we've, we continue having to, um, fine tune things to adapt. Right. But we're pretty well oiled by this point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that I've never spoken to, um, a restaurateur who feels like they're like, they're perfectly there. Like everybody's always pushing for, you know, how we can get this much better and that much better. Um, what are some of the ways that you feel like Mean Mug is still grinding to improve its product? What are some of the things you still want to see developed? Well, in this, in this business model, um, profit margins are very small. Coffee and, and pastries and breakfast and especially baking is right. a lot of baking is a lot of labor, uh, with little return. Um, so we've been recently thinking of ways of, okay, well, what's the next step now that this location is doing well, now that this business is doing good, um, what can we do to make it as profitable as we want it to be? Right. So that's, that's one of the, the things that we've been looking into and right. We've got an idea that we're in the throes of working out and just we're hoping that it with the second location that we're opening that it it works out. But I don't know if I can really talk about sure, it just sure, yet sure, yeah, <laughs> until right. we commit. No, please would you go ahead and tell us all of your deepest secrets so that we can publish those for all your competitors. <laughs> yes, we'd love that. Um, no, so it's interesting. You talk about baking is is high labor. Uh, especially coffee is high labor and the commodities aren't cheap themselves. How are you handling price changes? I mean, the, the coffee market is, um, is volatile to say the least. How do you handle these things? Um, we do constant inventories. We do monthly coffee and food costs and match it up to what we spent. I mean, it's, um, it's, you have to constantly pay attention to it because something as little as, an avocado can go from 69 cents an avocado up to $2 an avocado. And then all of a sudden you're like, Whoa, there goes my food cost for the month. Right. So some, you can't control all of that. You just have to source it out to the best person. Uh, we have multiple places that we get things and mm-hmm. we constantly are price comparing and checking and going back and forth with, uh, our food service, and saying, Hey, well, I can get this at this place for this price and you need to match it. Mm-hmm. Or the only other place you can really control your money is in labor costs. Right. Um, constantly keeping an eye on labor, uh, and making sure that we're hitting the number we need to every day. Uh-huh. If menu prices are, are not reflecting what they should, um, based on the availability or the skyrocket of something then right. we need to cut back on labor for the month. And at this point, I mean, it seems like you probably have enough trust built with customers that, that they know if something has to happen on that side, that, that they trust you not to just do that to gouge them. They realize, like if you said, you know, it's a weird quarter for milk, you know, that, that that's a thing that people would get and understand. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, we did a price increase across the board of our menu a couple of years ago. Um, milk was one of the big things that had gone up eggs, um, butter. There were several 
several dairy items that had gone up and we got a little bit of um, negative feedback from it. But I think once people went to other places and realized that we're still very affordable right? um, and that we weren't doing it just to become millionaires. Sure. um, That they, 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 you know, said, okay, well, Places go up, cost of living goes up, cost of goods goes up. It's it's a normal thing to do. And if we didn't do it, then we would be struggling as a business. Mm-hmm. How have you had to handle um, labor percentage changes when you look at the market and you say, all right, we've we've wrung everything out of our suppliers that we can do. Um, do you have you is it has it been your approach to spread a little pain widely or um have you had to make really difficult localized decisions with labor? I mean, is it, are you a let someone go type or do you use like everybody takes a little bit? Um, usually it's just, everybody takes a little bit. Like we just cut a few shifts back shorter. And most of the time people are okay with an easy week. Um, especially full-time people. They're like, man, I clock 40 hours every week. It's nice to get off a couple hours early today mm-hmm. and have the rest of the weekend off. Sure. Um, or I give people options to go home early, stuff like that. So it's, I have a lot of college students that they don't have to work. They just work for some extra money. So right. it, it usually works itself out. Right. Wow. So you, you mentioned a little bit ago the question of or the issue of getting feedback when your prices were changing. Something every restaurateur knows about, often some, some are happy, mostly dread it. Uh, since 2004, online reviews are a huge part of your life. Um, a lot of my friends who run restaurants have been have, have felt like they got flamed pretty bad on Yelp. Um, even world-class restaurants get it from time to time. How have you handled bad reviews? We we try to actively monitor all of those. I get a notification every time I get a review <laughs> on something and I've attached it so that I'm aware of it um, to my email. So uh, we try to respond as quickly as possible to it. And we try to be as consistent as possible. But sometimes things happen that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. You can't be there all the time. Right. Overseeing every single thing that happens. Sure. Sometimes you mess up. And hopefully people with a response, an apology, uh-huh. can offer to come back and, you know, get a free meal on us or, or something like that. It usually smooths it over, being as genuine and as nice as possible. Uh, sometimes people just don't agree with what you're doing right. and they'll leave you a bad review. Um, not necessarily because you did anything wrong or you gave them a bad product. They right. just didn't prefer it. And those are kind of a little frustrating because it's like, okay, well, I mean, was your food bad? No. Okay. What could we have done to make it better? Did you try to talk to somebody while you're there to figure it out? And that's, that's one of the things with online reviews, instead of people bringing it up to a manager while they're there or, right asking for something different, they opt for leaving an online review and leaving unhappy. Right. It's an interesting thing. I think a lot of, a lot of restaurant owners are, are learning how to build trust and incentivize bringing issues up in the store rather than going out and, and sort of doing it on, online. I mean, how have you guys handled trying to build trust with 
with customers so that they, I mean, a lot of people don't want to bring stuff up because they don't want a confrontation in a restaurant. How have you right. gone about getting people proactively to say, come on, do you tell us we'll make it right here? Um, I think that what level of service you give has a huge impact on that. Uh-huh. Uh, we're constantly talking to our uh, employees about how their interactions with guests can affect the guest's dining experience. If right. they're genuine and sincere and people come in the door and they're greeted and they're treated with, oh, hey, they're really happy to see me versus I'm just a number. Um, that makes a huge difference. Sure. We build a lot of regular guests. We know people by name. Uh, we try to remember faces. We try to remember orders. We try to check in with people after they've gotten the stuff and make sure everything's good. And just reading people mm-hmm. in general, I try to to express the importance of that. You can see if someone's happy or not. If they didn't eat everything on their plate, then you ask why. So I think if you notice those things while people are there um, before they leave, right. then that's that can be huge. Right. So there's a a proactivity on the side of the staff to, to watch and make sure that people look happy. Um, and when someone seems unhappy to sort of figure out what the best way is to enter that situation and try to make it right, right there. How can I find anything here as good Special thanks and big shout out to Suze Long and hard worker, great, Roots rock style, folk kind of Americana sound coming out of Durham, North Carolina. Appreciate so much them partnering up with the show and letting us use some of their tunes. You guys are hearing great stuff here. Their music is incredible. What can I say? It speaks for itself. You can find them at Instagram.com slash hardworkerband or Facebook.com slash the same thing. You can find them on the web at hardworkerband.com looking forward to seeing hardworker out on the road this summer um not quite sure where all they're going to be yet but as the itinerary gets finalized we certainly will let you know and you can also find out at all those great properties again instagram facebook and on the web hardworker you guys rock just keep it up we were born bleeding out through that hole where a maker would go it seems like you've pretty well got the model under control, and that's good because you're about to open up a second location. What are you most eager about at that place? What are you most eager to see happen? Well, with this space, um, it's going to be a little bit bigger, um, and it's a blank slate. We get to build it out exactly how we want it. Mm-hmm. So this space was already an existing restaurant. It already had things in place. We just put a bandaid on it and <laughs> spruced it up and <laughs> and rolled with it. So this time around, we get to um, do it exactly how we want it. So that's really exciting because we know what works and what doesn't work. Uh, we know this barista bar that we built here is very tiny. We need something a little bit larger. Sure. Um, so stuff like that's really exciting. We do have one element that we are going to add at that location that's not announced to the public yet. It's sure. going to be really, really exciting. Stay tuned, you have to people. Stay that's tuned the story. for that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, are you building that space from scratch then, in terms of turning it into a restaurant? Are you are you taking a previously unrestauranted space and doing that? Yes. And have there been challenges with the construction and stuff like that? 
We actually haven't gotten the space yet. We signed signed the lease. We have rendered drawings from the architect. I see. We were supposed to get the space on April 1st, but the construction's pretty heavy, heavy on this location. Uh-huh. They're renovating a lot in that building, so I think we'll probably get it by the end of the month to start with. And when can the, the good people of Chattanooga expect to visit Mean Mug 2.0? I would think uh, we'll have that going by August or September. Gotcha. Wow, that's exciting. Um, so as you, we've talked a little bit already about the Chattanooga restaurant scene and how great it is, five of the 10 best biscuits in Tennessee. And that blows my mind when you consider that Nashville and Knoxville are so much bigger. It's really uh, astounding. What other restaurants in Chattanooga are doing it right by you? I mean, what, where do you look and you see something that's inspirational or exciting? Um, there are quite a few. <laughs> There's a lot of really good local, uh, sure. restaurant owners, uh, here, a few to think of Amanda and Eric Neal, uh, that own easy bistro and uh-huh. main street meats have a lot of admiration for them. They are really, really doing a great job and very consistent and very creative. Um, and they have a lot of really good ideas and really organized. So I admire uh, their style a lot. Hmm. Um, let's see the, the family at bluegrass grill that's locally owned family operated. Everybody in the family works in the restaurant wow. and you see them there every day, all day. Um, their kids actually have a couple of jobs. So, um, that's really awesome. And when they go on vacation, the place closes because it's family owned. <laughs> so I can appreciate that. Cool. <laughs> There are several River Street Deli. I can't remember the guy's name that owns that, but he is in there every day working uh-huh. uh, and he's very passionate about it. Um, so, so people like that, we tend to flock to the, when we go out the places that are locally owned where you see the the owner in the kitchen working right, or waiting tables or doing whatever it's um, yeah, it, that's who we tend to support. And there's a lot of those here. When you get a restaurant recommendation from somebody who owns a restaurant, that is worth its weight in gold because like (laughs) those those people know and they know where people BS and they know where corners get cut. And so when they give you the reco, you know, it's one to trust. Um, On that note, so you've you've named a few places uh, and now that the whole world knows about how great Chattanooga food is, what's what's the best kept secret in town? Besides Mean Mug, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll take that one right off the table. <laughs> I, I think really what what makes every place special here that is um, just the creativity and passion mm-hmm. behind it and being consistent and staying educated and staying on top of, of what's happening in the food industry and evolving without getting stuck into trends and just being your own eclectic. There's, there's just so many of those here that have their own eclectic personality and really passionate and, and paying attention to those food trends that are going on, but also evolving and creating new things that you don't see everywhere. Right. How do you stay connected to those trends? I mean, are you, are you surfing, you know, Brooklyn food blogs or, I mean, how do you stay in touch um, yeah, I, I do a lot of <laughs> research into other cities and what other restaurants are doing and 
what's being blown up on social media. Um, we travel a lot. Uh, we go to New York a lot <laughs> and visit tons of restaurants every time we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of say, oh, wow, that's that's an awesome idea. What? How can we take that and make it our own or build on that or bring that to Chattanooga because nobody's really doing it yet. Right. We, we do a lot of that. And this is really interesting to me because, uh, I live in, in Dallas, which is the fourth biggest city in the country. And I've traveled to New York pretty regularly. And what I really love about Southern food towns though, is that like, even in New York, they, they do stuff in a certain way. And then like the South is like, no, we can add butter and bacon to that and make it truly awesome. <laughs> well, that's what I mean about the part of make it our own. <laughs> Take this recipe, add a pound of butter, yeah. <laughs> deep fry it. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I totally get that. It's it's my favorite part about the South. It's the thing we I grew up in the South and and miss that more than anything else. Probably it's just you know when you when you find something, it's like oh that New York they do it okay. We can make that better. <laughs> right. Yeah, you've been put on notice, by the way, in New York City. I want you to know, you've been put on notice. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> Monica, how do you keep it together? I mean, so you, as you say, you were, you know, open to close for a long time there. And now you've figured out how to leverage staff well. And But now you're opening up a second place. How are you keeping, how do you keep sane? Uh, I've had to really uh, slow down and learn when to say no to things, um, learn when to, um, say, okay, well, I have this really long list of things to do, but I'm going to stop for today <laughs> Sure. and, uh, take, take the rest of the night off to go, whatever, go for a run, have a beer, watch some episodes of the golden girls and mm. chill out and mm. very important, very important. <laughs> and start over tomorrow. <laughs> Um, we, (laughs) we try to take several long weekend trips throughout the year because it's really hard to get away for more than a few days. Um, so taking several of those small trips is really important. Where are your favorite places? Making sure that that people know, um, what to do in the event of you being gone, if something comes up that they don't Where are your favorite places to go? Where do you, where do you go to, to really like, you know, chill? Um, as far as vacations, yeah, well, you know those long weekends. I mean, you you obviously oh, on a long okay. weekend you can't get to Seattle probably. <laughs> so what do you do? Well, we're at the end of the month. We're going to uh, the Dominican for four days. So it, that's not close. Yeah, but <laughs> maybe you can get to Seattle. I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe so. That sounds right? exciting. Um, we do take short little trips to New York, which it's fast paced and you don't really get a lot of rest because right. you're running around, but it's really nice to do something different. Sure. So we take several trips there. Mm-hmm. Um, we may just go rent a cabin in the woods for three days and mm-hmm. that's great. Um, so just wherever we can go somewhere new, we don't, we tend to try to go somewhere we've never been. And it's usually based around the food scene right. or attractions that uh-uh. we really want to see. And uh, as somebody who's been a restaurant player in, in Chattanooga for the last you know five years or so, I guess six years, as you look forward in Chattanooga, what's missing? What, what do you really hope happens in Chattanooga in the next 18 months or so? Uh, besides Mean Mug 2.0, which is going to take the North Shore by storm. Um, I think, uh, a couple of things that, um, which are, are already seemingly in transition, but need more, um, 
building on is critical mass. Uh, first of all, we've, we've got so many new businesses popping up so many new restaurants. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many new developments, new condos, um, it's still a very small town. Mm -hmm. So I think more critical mass would be better. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think more, um, more things geared towards adult tourism and nightlife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved here from Nashville and that was close to 10 years ago. And I was really shocked um, at the lack of nightlife that was going on in Chattanooga. And that's definitely improved. There's a lot of things that's helped with that. The renovation of the Choo Choo sure. um, Track 29. There's several venues uh, that have helped with that. Right. Aspiring bar owners, you've heard it here. Uh, you've been told, start your bars in Chattanooga. <laughs> Late night bars. Yeah. Go stay open past 10. <laughs> totally. Um, well, Monica, I don't want to take more of your time. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Holy Take this waste, make this wasteland a holy ghost town. Make this wasteland a holy ghost town.